elements of eternity, above and below, balance of essence, fire begets snow. Locked war Danalora, Luwatha Danu, Tuwatha Tuwatha, Locked war Danalora, Luwatha Danu, Tuwatha Tuwatha, Locked war Danalora, Locked war Danalora, Luwatha Danu, I want to show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. This week on Spellburn, we'll dive into a hot topic, how to win over the uninitiated to the game of Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG. We've all been there before, trying to sell DCC to old school grognards or devotees of the new school games. We'll discuss how to prepare a game for newbies, whether at a convention or a friendly local game store. And we'll talk about resources to find new players, as well as the differences between DCC and other systems, and how to handle some common questions or perceptions. If that's not enough, we welcome a new judge to the fold. All this on Spellburn. All right, Jen is gone today on Spellburn, so we had to recruit a new special meet, I mean host, to sit in tonight. So we welcome Judge Jarrett. Yay! Welcome aboard. Hey, everybody. And your name starts with a J. What do you know? You can thank your parents for meeting that very important criteria. All right. Well, welcome aboard, Judge Jared. Jen, we're sorry we'll miss you, but we'll catch you up next time. Let's head over to Tavern Talk. And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. Tavern Talk. All right, Tavern Talk, here we are. A quick go-round as to what we did in gaming over our last month or so since our last podcast. Joe, do you want to start us out? Not too much gaming. I picked up the uh, Walking Dead uh, All Out War like starter set at the game store the other day, and I've been like furiously painting the minis um, a couple a day. So I'm looking forward to playing that. I'll probably like cart it around at uh, some cons, and maybe I'll use Doug Kovac's uh, mini terrain. Oh, yeah. Guy. Looks like egg crates and toilet paper or something, and that he painted. Yeah. So that's about it. I'm running a game um, on Saturday, which was supposed to be Dying Earth. And then my lame players, they, they did the Dying Earth thing last time. They're like, no, we just want to play DCC this time. So I was like, ah, 
All right. So I'm going to play test my dying earth adventure on them, but we're going to play DCC. Except one guy. I think one guy's going to play one of the um, dying earth classes. Hmm. Well, that's cool. They're kind of dorks. They're like, they're like, we don't understand dying earth. So we don't know all the backstory and blah, blah, blah. I was like, you don't need to know the backstory. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk all kinds of crap about them because they never listen to the podcast. So <laughs> that's fair. How about you, Jared? Well, uh, three weeks ago, I started a public play program at Level 1 Games here in KC Mo, and actually just finished up Session 3 tonight. I used Sour Spring Hollow as the funnel, worked them through Rat God's River of Death last week, and introduced them to a little adventure called The One Who Watches From Below. Tonight, immediately, the thief, of course, did the thing and is paying the consequences. In addition to that, I play the normal Monday DCC with uh, Wayne and Doug. And then tomorrow night, I'm running some classic Traveler as close to rules as written at Jason Hobbs' request. Awesome. That sounds like a blast. Did you you hear Jason Hobbs uh, or Scott Hubbs has got an OSR podcast now, too? I listened to Scott Hubbs' podcast today, and it's pretty solid. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it too. It's called what is it called? Oh, Scott Hubs and OSR and Friends or something. Just Google a Super Friends Scott Hubs and you can't miss it. It'll come. It'll be right there. Awesome. All I'm going to shout out is uh, while over the last two or three weeks haven't done much, but we did play a great game of Mutant Crawl Classics run by my pal John Carnes, who set up a game uh, for for Dan Domi from Michigan, who was in visiting uh, Minneapolis. And so we got a few of the regulars together and we had, we had a really fun time. That was a great funnel. Thanks John for doing that, especially for uh, out of town guests. So that was good. That's about it for me. I, I I had a pretty quiet, played a little pedal hack the week before that, mostly play testing and gearing up for Gary con. Oh, I did my nowhere city funnel play test a couple weeks ago before that too. So that was a blast. That actually played really fun. I was pretty pleased with how it went. Did you say pedo hack? Pedal hack. Oh, okay. All right. That's a whole different game, I think, that you mentioned. All right, guys, let's go over to summon email. You've got mail. Message for you, sir. Summon email. All right, here we are at Summon Email. Thanks to everybody who emailed. We did get a a, a nice response after uh, really beating the bushes, and uh, please keep doing that. We will get – we're going to do three, uh, and we got good, meaty emails to discuss. So, again, appreciate it, and keep them coming, guys. We're going to take the first one. I'm going to let Jared read that, please. All right. First email is from Chris Weller. Hello, esteemed judges. I'm delighted to hear your voices again so soon after the previous episode. I hope we hear from you again soon, and welcome to Judge Julian. You are off to a great start. I have a wonderful crew that have kept me on my toes weekly. They've inadvertently been responsible for many disasters in my campaign world, such as unleashing an undead horde, releasing a hound of Tendalos, awakening a dragon, and raising a few villages. Along the way, they picked up so much corruption, I ruled that they were vulnerable to spells that bind or command demons. They even managed to walk into a meeting of the Dukes of Hell undetected. 
Although they are nowhere as dangerous as the demons in the rule book, they are considered active agents of hell by the general populace, although they are no more malicious than the typical party of murder hobos. They are on Mars right now, but should they ever make it back to Earth, there will be an organized response from several religions waiting for them. If I may request topics for future episodes, I would love to hear your thoughts on making the game richer for clerics, who I feel were a bit shortchanged in the original rules, and then keeping things challenging for players at level 5 and above. Thanks for covering demons, and please keep up the good work. Call me Judge Moonbeam. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. Job, uh, what do you think? Uh, well, I totally agree with him. Lyrics do feel to me like they've been shortchanged. And actually, I've been wor- since I've been working on the priest class, Dying Earth, I was kind of like crunching the numbers for clerics and stuff. You know, it doesn't really matter that much. But like one thing I found with clerics is like at ninth and 10th level, the fifth level spells, you can't, there's no possible way except with burning luck for you to get the second and third to the top tier spell results on the, on the spell table. There's just no way to roll them, which is funny. Looking at all this, the charts and everything, it's kind of like you kind of need spell burn to hit some of those higher end results. Since clerics don't get spell burn, you can't, they can't really do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are always are going to kind of be a little bit sucky compared to wizards and elves. Yeah, they do, they do seem so sort of like they're shortchanged a little to use uh, Judge Moonbeam's parlance. They can't spell burn and yet they get all the drawbacks of disapproval right so it's like they're kind of double whammied in a negative way sometimes yeah and i mean at least i like i have a little bit of data now on it i don't know i mean how, how do you guys feel because i always just felt like in playing clerics and, and seeing them played at the table it always kind of felt off to me like there was something wrong with them but i you know didn't know what yeah uh, I think it. I think one thing, um, and we should have a whole episode on this because I think it's. I think clerics are one of those things in DCC that really work better if the judge really engages and makes a great order of religion and a great god and custom disapproval uh, tables. And the more energy that the cleric player and the judge put into it, I think it really comes alive a lot more. The god is kind of like a patron and should not exactly be treated the same way, but that relationship is similar and should have its own dynamic and be part of the game, too. And, of course, they do, even though they have exactly the mathematical challenges Joe mentioned, I'd say they also do have divine favor and turning and healing, of course, outside their spells. So they've got certainly some very powerful arrows in the quiver. Not to mention lay on hand. Yeah, exactly. What do you think, Jared? I have found recently uh, two great players, one uh, at the public play and then one online. Clerics are really more of an R-O-L-E playing opportunity if they want to move outside of the heel bot aspect that's really prevalent in a lot of D&D type games. And if you just give them a little bit of space, they're going to come up with something wacky. It's not a class I would recommend for a noob, someone to just jump into. Mm. But if you have a person, a player who's just really interested in putting a spin on organized religion, it could be, well, a godsend. Great. Yeah, I, I, I think it is a great role-playing opportunity. I really agree. I think that's what that's what it takes to make it really come alive. Well, now, briefly, because we have a couple other emails, what do you guys think about keeping, let's do a lightning round, keeping it challenging for players Level five and above. First of all, have you ever 
run games for five and above. Joe? I did level six one shots for 998th Conclave Wizards. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's about all the experience I have at the higher level play. I do a lot of like one shots and I don't have a consistent time period that I play with. I probably play four times, five times a year with my buddies that on the island. And then mm-hmm. I get a bunch of random con games and then just some extra games in the in the middle there, too. So anyway, yeah, to actually answer your question, not very much. Any ideas for how to keep it challenging at that at a higher, higher level like that? No, but I, there's one thing I've been doing. I think I had mentioned to you guys before, but, you know, the disapproval tables get pretty stale after a few levels, I, I think. I mean, it's just the same stuff over and over. I think DCC really great if if, uh, if the judge has time or the player to, like, make custom tables for their gods or something. One thing I did is uh, I've done for a while is I had this uh, Kaplow D10 that's like the Ten Commandments. Hmm. I don't know if you've seen that before, but it's got like yeah. short, shortened versions of the Ten Commandments like on, inscribed on it. It's pretty large. So what I've done is I just I'll roll that Ten Commandments die and it'll come up with whatever thing like honor thy parents or whatever. And then I just ask the other people at the table, like, what do you think that means in this this particular case? So then everyone just kind of comes up with whatever idea they have based on on that commandment that comes up. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And that's worked pretty well to just like spice things up a little bit. I would say uh, on my end, I, I've run a few games. I actually played in 998th Conclave run by my friend Gary here in town. And uh, that was a blast. That's a, one good approach to making it challenging for level five and above is to put them in a situation with a lot of high-level NPCs or dangerous intelligent critters who are more powerful than them no matter how powerful they are so they actually have to use diplomacy and thinking and stuff and they can't just you know fight and spell cast their way out of situations you know that tends to put a damper on just trying to spell burn magic missile every time the other thing you know if you look at colossus arise or um, I, I wrote a 10th level adventure just for fun that i did at gen con last year you know, there's just there's giants and dragons and undead, and you know, you just have to kind of make the worst things you can think of to try to make, and then still just watch your players just carve through it in about one to two rounds. Uh, Jared, any thoughts before we move on to the next one? I have never really been that much of a stickler for levels. A lot of that is from playing. BX and their level advancement is so low and then adopting the LOTFP aspect of levels really don't matter. So higher level play to me, not having a whole lot of experience with that and gaming in general and zero experience in DCC. Like you said, you're going to watch your players carve through it. They're going to hack it. They're going to kill it. They're going to talk their way around it. Other than that, just keep playing. Oh, wait, I got one other one. Actually, now that 998th Conclave reminds me, um, I wrote like optional slash advanced spell uh, spell duel rules in there. And they um, add rules in there to include clerics in Spellburn. Hmm. Or, um, sorry, what did I say Spellburn? I meant spell duel. Hmm. So it's, it's got like a list of suggestions for what cleric spells can counter what wizard spells, etc. Cool. So that might spice up your game a little bit. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Uh, Joe, do you want to take the next email? Why, certainly. Okay. So our next email comes from Tim. Hey, Spellburners. So glad to hear you all firing up again. 
One thing I'd love to hear is a walkthrough of a published DCC module with a judge from a judge's perspective. A great example would be Portal Under the Stars, since it's in the book, and everyone should have it. I think that the concern that people won't have to buy the module is easily avoided. Without a paper map and without all the stats, it would be excruciating to try and piece together all the stuff from just an audio walkthrough. That said, I think, much like the class walkthroughs that were covered in the first few episodes, it's a great way to prepare to play and makes the reading stick better. I'm sure with your connections to the Dark Master, you could get permission to do it. The idea would be to step through the adventure just like you were sitting down to run it and offer ideas from each of you about how to handle each encounter, how you'd get your players hooked, stories from when you have run it, and gotchas to look out for. Obviously, you'd want to put a spoiler warning on the front. I and other judges often post questions like, any tips for running module XYZ? This would be a, a good way to cover that. It also gives people the chance to hear the adventure and decide if it's something that would be good for their group. If people like the format, maybe you could do the one who watches from below next. Cheers, Tim. Sounds like a really cool idea for me, and uh, yeah, happy yeah. to have uh, episode suggestion topics, too. Yeah, thanks for your, your email, Tim. Uh, what do you think on the, on the topic, Jarrett? I would love to if we found uh, or got cleared on the ability to do an entire episode with just, say, a funnel or a shorter level one adventure uh, that'd be fantastic i don't know if that's necessarily in the wheelhouse of spellburn right now but i do agree that with the early episodes of spellburn i've got new players and i told them about spellburn last week and they're they told me today they were listening to it i, I think it would be kind of handy for a new judge um it would actually have to be heavily spoiler warning so that players don't listen to it and you know try to get a leg up yeah Actually, I, I listened to the first episode the other day. I hadn't listened to it in years. And uh, it's pretty funny. We're all, we're all just kind of gushing fanboys over over this like new game system. You know, it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's fun stuff, though. Well, I think I think it would be a cool uh, idea. I'm, I'm putting it in the queue for uh, things to do along with our, you know, divine favor, do stuff with the cleric idea. So... Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, next email comes from Jeff Goad, who hails from the DCC New York City meetup group. So if you're in New York, uh, look him up. He's active on G+, so you can find him there. Yeah, he also does like an Appendix N book club or something. Yeah, that sounds very cool. So yeah, absolutely hit him on that, too. Uh, Jeff writes... I posted some D6 random alignment tables for pregens on Google+, and it sparked a fascinating discussion about alignment and different people's interpretations of it. The book says alignment reflects values, behavior, and cosmic alliance. Some felt that characters devoted to law and chaos should be rare because alignments are specific declarations to the gods of law or chaos. Others felt that the cosmic laws are beyond human understanding and therefore have no reflection on morality or personality type. The only place everyone seemed to 100% agree is that law doesn't necessarily mean good and chaos doesn't necessarily mean evil. I'd love to know how much alignment plays a factor in your games outside of clerics, how much you think it should inform the choices characters make, and whether PCs and NPCs with law or chaotic alignments should be commonplace or rare. 
Uh, Judge Julian had shared some of his awesome thoughts in the thread, and I'd love to hear all three of you discuss it. Uh, and two slight tangents. Number one, the book says elves favor chaos to law. Why do you think elves lean into cosmic entropy? And number two, Cthulhu is listed as neutral. How do you feel about that choice? So thanks, Judge Jeff. Appreciate uh, your uh, email. And I think, you know, we could maybe, Joe, we, did you, you guys didn't do an alignment episode, did you? You know what? We never did. That'd be a great episode, actually. That, that could be pretty cool because this topic could be that G plus thread uh, that Jeff had, I think, started was very cool. And there was a lot of great stuff on there. And so folks look it up. But, uh, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that. It uh, would be really neat. So to keep it moving, the book says – I'm just going to go through these. Uh, I'll take it first. The book says elves favor chaos to law. Why? I will say that if you're an immortal, uh, effete, a type of pointy-eared, semi-pseudo-god, you don't think laws of lesser creatures apply to you, and you tend to be, uh, follow your own star because your existence has more meaning than the things around you. And you also, of course, are familiar with entropy and decay because you've seen the you know, pieces of the world all around you uh, following that pattern for your whole existence. So uh, that's my two cents for what it's worth. As far as Cthulhu being listed as neutral, I love it. It's, it makes you stop and stare when you first read that in the table in the book. Uh, I, I think the inference there is that Cthulhu is completely oblivious and indifferent to the fates and uh, alignments of mortals. Maybe he's not even alive or awake anyway. So he's just a being that you're somehow harvesting power from, and he's completely apathetic and indifferent. That's that's my take. Jared, what do you say? I say Clulu, uh, <laughs> just, just for fun. As far as elves go, like you said, leaning into it, they've seen death decay. They'll eventually, if they live long enough, see the heat death of the universe. I think they're totally fine with that. And as far as putting Clulu, Cthulhu on the neutral spectrum, we don't have a way to fathom what it thinks. So putting it in neutrality, I would almost put it beyond alignment. Joe, what kind of Cthulhu do you do? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I've always ignored alignment. I really just, I, I've always thought alignment is just lame. I mean, why do we have these labels, man? Why can't you just play your character like your character's going to be? And then that's it. You know, in DCC RPG system, they try to make alignment actually matter by having some things keyed off of it, like, you know, opposed and adjacent alignments for lay on hands, for example. I think there's a few other examples in the rules of stuff like that. I, I never thought alignment added much to the story, and it was always just kind of like this weird bolted-on thing. I like the idea of there's like you know this cosmology and spectrum of law and chaos, and these forces align or stuff that actually like punish players if they don't act out their alignment and stuff like that. I don't know. It it always just bugs me and felt weird. Oh, and Cthulhu. So the same thing. Like Cthulhu's neutral. I don't really care because I don't I don't really care about alignment that much. I do actually think it was brilliant that Joe did that because that's one of those things that people always say. Like, they always bring that up about the book. So nerds love Cthulhu. You know, they can't believe that he's neutral and everyone, you know, has to, like, talk about it. And then people are talking about DCCRPG because of that. 
that's that's my two cents. Thank you, Joe. Uh, that's our take on the email. Thank you, Jeff. And now we're going to head on over to our main topic and go into Mighty Deeds. Wait a second. I have an idea. That's plenty for the both of us. I move for no man. <laughs> All right, so here we are in our Mighty Deeds section, and we're going to talk about selling DCC to folks as a player. So not as a judge necessarily. Of course, we're all judges, and many of you listening are judges, but what can we do as a player to uh, sell the game and help people enjoy it, learn to love it? And also, how did uh, each of us come into the game as a player? Joe, do you want to start that off? I was introduced to the game by, I think, one of my players in like a 4E game that I had. Doug Lawson, and I actually work with him now again after a lot of years. I think he brought like the beta rules for DCC, and I, I already liked Goodman Games 4E products, and I hated all of the Watsy ones after I had been running them for a while because there was like, I just thought they were lame. Anyway, he brought in the beta rules, and I just kind of, you know, I was like, yeah, this this seems kind of lame. I don't, I don't want to play this. I was going to the Goodman Game forums and on their website and stuff like that because I was into their 4E products, and I, I don't know why, but I decided to pick up the book. They had like a like a pre-order type of mailer or something that went out, like an email. So I ordered the book, got it when it came out. I just got the normal cover, but you know, as soon as I opened it up, I was like totally regretting that I didn't get the gold foil because you know the rules, the art, everything in there. I just loved, I just loved the book. I was suddenly totally obsessed with it, and that's the only only version of D and D for me, basically. So I had read the book. I didn't really wasn't really playing any games yet. Uh, by that time, I was like writing some D and D stuff for like Watsy and some other, some other companies, Cobalt Press and stuff. So anyway, I went to Gen Con. I I think it was Gen Con 2012, and I was walking around the floor looking for the newest DCC module at the time, which I think was Jewels of the Carnifex. So Gen Con 2012, there's no Goodman Games presence. There was literally nowhere in the entire showroom floor anywhere that you could buy a DCC RPG product at all. And it had been a few few months since the book came out by then. Anyway, so I'm walking down and then I see the cover of Sailors or something hanging on the wall. And I was like, oh man, that's Doug Kovac. So I walked over and start chatting with him and like, oh, I love this art, blah, blah, blah. And then there was this like, you know, short little dwarfing uh, red bearded guy standing there who I immediately recognized as Harley Stroh because, um, I'd seen him, in, seen him in some, a picture of him in something from Goodman Games. So immediately I started just, you know, gushing, you know, are you Harley Stroh? Oh my God, I love your writing. I love your your adventures and blah, blah, blah. So I was talking to them for a while. And then this kind of barrel chested, really loud dude comes over and starts talking to them about the game they're going to play that night. And it turned out it was Brendan LaSalle. And uh, they're like, yeah, we're going to, you know, run this game. And do we have enough players? And I just kept standing there. Because I wanted to get in on their game, and <laughs> but I didn't ask, and they could tell I wanted to get in their game, but they were just totally ignoring me, and I just kept standing there, standing there, and then I don't remember. I don't remember if I said something first, or maybe you know, Hirely's like super nice all the time. I think maybe he was like, "Well, would would you want to play in our game?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, totally, totally." You know, I'll buy the beer or something. I bought like a couple six packs of beer or something and showed up. I took this walk out to the ass end of the hotel walkway or whatever they call it the sky bridges and yeah harley ran this game it was really cool it had like 
I don't know what ever turned in. He had like this witch that was pulling children's bones out of a clay wall and like making these little children golems that attacked us. And Doug had his D200 or whatever list of item, random items that we all rolled off of. So I played with them that night and we had a great time. And then I just kind of like Doug and I kind of hit it off and we kind of hung out all weekend. And then I game with them at NBC Suites the next night. And Doug was running that night. Harley was just kind of hanging out and we played with uh, Diesel. I met Diesel, of course, that night. And uh, I don't remember the other guys that were there. There's a couple other dudes. Anyway, we played uh, the jeweler who dealt in Stardust, which I was talking crap about. And then I played it, and, I, and then I was like, "Oh, I totally love this adventure. It's really good." You know, I didn't, I didn't get the whole art thing. And then once we played it out at, at the table, then it, you know, all clicked, and I was like, "Oh man, this is totally amazing." Yeah, it was funny. I remember we were playing, and like, you know, DCC was still pretty new then, so I failed some kind of attack roll, and I missed. And he was like, "Oh, sorry." He turned to the next person. I was like, "Hey, wait a second. Can I burn luck?" And he looked at me, kind of like, "Well, yes, of course you can burn luck." Like, <laughs> You know, I had read the rules and like, and not everyone was like immediate, like, oh, burn luck for that or something. You know what I mean? Just it was yeah. just so, it was just so new. Like he, he didn't even have a, a huge grasp of the rules yet either back then. You know, so uh, yeah, that was my introduction to the game as a player was like playing with uh, Harley and Doug and Brendan for two or three nights in a row. Joe, what what made you love it when you opened the book? Because you, you said you opened the book and. I mean, give me the give me the ten second. Like, what is it that just knocked you over? It was definitely the art, and just you know, I I had gotten back into tabletop role playing games with 4E, and I ran a campaign for like a year and a half or something, and I was just like, this doesn't seem right. Something's wrong here. And then I branched out and tried like three five or Pathfinder or something. I was like, I, I don't like this either. You know. Then finally, when I got into DCCRPG, I was like, this is what I want. This is like perfect blend of kind of like D20 newer stuff and older style, uh, older games, you know? Oh, oh, yeah. I just want to tell another nice guy Harley story. So that first night we played uh, when he was running the game, I told him like, yeah, you know, I've I've written this stuff for, for Wizards and Dungeon Magazine and blah, blah, blah. He was like, oh, cool. And uh, I was like, yeah, I really want to write something for DCC now. I really like this system. He was like, oh, okay, well, give me your email address and I'll give it to Joe. And I was like, oh, cool. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Totally thinking there's no way in hell that he was going to pass it on or would care enough to even like help me out, you know? And sure enough, like two weeks after uh, Gen Con, I just, I get a random email from Joseph Goodman. And he's like, hey, do you want to pitch me three things? And um, maybe you could write something for me. That was Glip Carry as a gambit, which... I had actually written for them before the one who watches from below. I had the one who watches from below was like the free RPG day contest, which I entered before I met Harley and Doug and all those guys. And then they took so long to like judge. It was like February or March of the next year before they ever announced a winner that I uh, had met them. And then was I pitched and wrote something else, and then I and I, so I was already kind of writing for him, and then I won the adventure contest after that. So hmm. pretty funny. I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that someone told me this story that like Joe wanted to find a new writer, so he had that that contest, but then he ended up finding me through Harley anyway. So <laughs> the con, you know, I mean, like he it didn't find him anybody new because I, he already like met me through networks of people at Gen Cons. That is, uh, 
it's why we like to play. I mean, that's how players get introduced, of course, is by other players and by a group standing around a store or at a con or whatever, or in embassy suites. I'm just going to say, I you know, I, I somehow found it on the net when I was, you know, when it was in beta and I actually did some beta testing and posted review on RPG net and in Goodman games forum. I believe I posted the review way back when then as well. You know, the people are just a huge, I mean, I, I don't have quite those great stories to tell about it, but I mean, the people are obviously just a great uh, part of the game. The community is welcoming and uh, players are always, you know, looking to run or play at the cons. Uh, there's always pickup games. Uh, I remember when Transylvanian Adventures came out, I was trying to get in a game and uh, I couldn't, I went to Embassy Suites looking for it. I couldn't find it. But I ran across Adam Miskevich just sitting there with his screen and his book and his wife, Katie, and Wayne Snyder was there, who I didn't know at all at the time. So I just came up and was like, hey, are you guys playing DCC? And and Adam sat and ran it for like an hour, and we were totally TPK'd completely, and I don't even think it took an hour. But we had a lot of fun. And and then eventually, of course, I met all those guys again later. It was, it was really – I mean, that's – be available, be inclusive as a player. I would say, uh, you know, if you're an experienced DCC player, sometimes if you're playing level one or higher, it's a little tricky to grasp all the rules right out of the gate. So, you know, help the person next to you a little bit if you can. Give them a little coaching and, oh, you know, maybe suggest a little luck burning if, uh, if they're not right on the dice. You know, that kind of stuff helps out and is inclusive and endears people the game by creating some personal bonds. How about you, Jared? I had spent years as a lapsed tabletopper, but I was doing a lot of board gaming. A co-worker at the old job was really into D&D and had played with his wife way back in college, 3, 3, 5, and wanted to get a game going. So started running 4E for us. We did three sessions of it. 5E came out, and I was like, hmm, put my toe in the water. Started to jump into the net and found the G-plus hidey hole where we're all at. Discovered DCC RPG, and this would have been summer 2015, so I'm still a noob as far as this all goes. But I, I lived in Columbia, Missouri, but I went to CantCon in Overland Park, Kansas, and got in on a game of DCC, a tournament funnel run by Mr. Nathan Pankey, the spiciest DM. And he was running a playtest for his still-yet-to-be-released funnel, The Lost Souls Train. I took second place in it, fell in love with the game, the rapid-fire delivery. A, a lot of it really, honestly, was the people I was playing with. And the people that were running it, uh, well, the person that was running it, Nathan, was just, it was it was so quick. There was no, I want my thief to tap this, and uh, what do you want to do? He was literally asking us, describe what you're doing, and then he would give us a really quick response based off what we said. I was lucky enough to play in that game uh, with Matthew Schmier and John Hirschberger, and everything was just crazy, off the wall, People dying left and right. PvP, we came close to a TPK. And walking away that day with that 
medallion, which I still have my second place, my silver medallion. I'll wear it to GaryCon. It, it meant a lot to me, like just the the inviting aspect of, yeah, no, yeah, no, you want to throw some dice? Throw some dice. And that's what I do as a player, and that's what I do as a judge, is always being inviting, never judging anybody, just being, hey, you want to play? Cool, let's play. Thanks, Jared. Let's go over and talk about this from the other side of the screen in Mercurial Magic. Great, all-seeing eye of Agamotto, you must come to my aid! Doesn't weird stuff happen when spells are messed up? I don't feel anything. So that could have gone better. Mercurial Magic. All right, here we are in Mercurial Magic. We're going to examine our topic from the judge's point of view. Specifically, uh, how do we introduce uh, new players to the game? And we'll also talk about, you know, I, I mentioned in the intro resources to find new players. We don't have to belabor it, but uh, G Plus has a you know section of the community for looking for games, both online and uh, in you know real real life, as they say. But local game meetup groups are out there too, and can be a good source as well as you know, there are Goodman Games Forum and some of the other RPG forums. But I think the I think G Plus is the best. And the meetups, uh, you know, if you have if you're lucky to be enough in a big place, are reasonably good for that. Uh, so I, I've met players from those sources and can be pretty good. You of course don't know what you're gonna get, but that's the same thing as running at a con anytime. How do you how do you guys introduce new players to the game? Jared, I know you wrote you've you're a whirlwind. You you started only a year and a half ago or something, but you you run a lot of games and you run a lot of uh, you know, funnels and and new newbie friendly games. How do you introduce new players to game? The biggest thing I do is I let them sit down and immediately, if time is admissible, roll three d six down the line. And you see the chagrin when they roll a three or a five or an eight, and you see the delight when they roll a sixteen or a seventeen or an eighteen, and just working them through how to build a zero level where your saves come from what your lucky sign means here's your occupation and then the biggest kicker for me is when well what does hp mean and then they roll a d4 and they add their stamina modifier and they're like really i've got one hit point <laughs> that right there is when i know they're into it i can i i also do that with old school players they they just they grasp that. They understand 3D6 down the line. With Pathfinder players or 3.5 or 4 or 5e players, you kind of have to coax them a little bit because they'll look at those little four squares of on, on one sheet and they'll be like, so what, 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 what do I do? And then you just, you just tell them, like, what do you want to do? Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I think emphasizing the narrative can be, a uh, you know the open-endedness can be a winning strategy. Of course, it freaks people out, but uh, it also you know opens people's minds. And then when they like it, those are the folks we want anyway. So it works well. Uh, Joe, what do you think? I like Jared's approach. I've seen the same kind of reactions from people. Just to crap on other games. I mean, the way I always like to play, I would I would you know go and play like 4E, like um, 
what did they call the Adventures League back then? I don't know. RPG games. I forgot what it was called, but oh, Living Forgotten Realms. And people would always get mad at me because, you know, we square off against some people to fight or whatever. And uh, I would just do whatever was, you know, cool story wise, you know. So I'd be like, oh, I'm going to take my battle axe and like run across this tree, lo- uh, this this log that fell over the ravine or the river or whatever and, and jump off. And, you know, the DMs would always be like, you know, you're going to have to make a DC 12 uh, athletics skill check if you do that. And I was like, fine, that's what I can do. So I would just always do that. And then I would invariably like flub the roll. And, you know, just like wasn't fun. It was like sucking all the fun out of the game. It's there's no reason why it, you have to make checks for everything, you know, just talk about it an interesting way. And does it add something to the game or like detract from the game to let someone run across a tree branch or something? I mean, or a log, it just I, I love it. And, you know, there's there is a fun way to make it. I, I think, you know, in some cases, depending on the challenge, Making a little skill check is fun, but you can do it quickly, and it's kind of fun to watch your fighter actually fall into the river, too, I will say. But it's also, it's kind of optional. I mean, if it's meant to be a really tough challenge, it's obviously not optional, but it's not something that I don't think DCC players would typically get in a religious argument about, whereas in other games, people might really even stop the action to talk about that. Or argue over a rule, or... Well, I guess yeah. does that. Um, you know, I, I would I I think you guys have covered it pretty well. I would say, you know, with uh, with old school players, I tend to emphasize, you know, I think Joseph's design goals and talk about and how he was really trying to get the spirit of Appendix N into sort of a reimagined D and D, and you know, say this is the this is the game reimagined from the ground up. It's an interesting take on it and it's it's the game you remember as if it had been kind of written in a parallel universe and you went over there and got to play a different form of D&D from an alternate universe Gygax or something like that. Otherwise I think you guys have, have handled it well and I, I, th- I think the game's selling points are uh, its classes, its magic system all that good stuff. Personal selling points, Job, what do you think? I usually try to sell people on um, on the magic system DCC RPG has a pretty unique magic system. You know, I, th- I usually say, you know, um, you know, your fireball could be this little tiny pellet or something that does a few points of damage to this like meteor that like comes down from the heavens and slams into the ground and destroys everything in a hundred foot radius or whatever it is. I don't remember it is off the top of my head, but it's something, it's something similar to that. And uh, that usually kind of sparks people like, oh wow, really? Okay, you know. I'll flip through the book and look at some of these spells. Probably the art, too. I always tell people, hey, you know, if you buy the lower end book, whatever, the, the $40 one, or, geez, the $25 paperback, the soft cover now, I just tell people, like, that that $25 right there is worth it just for all that art and inspiration that you'll get from looking through this book. I mean, I kept the DCC RPG book by my bedside for years and just open it up and look at the art over again and find new details. I should probably do that again. Actually, I probably will once my... Uh, Worth printing uh, book finally arrives. It's a great book that you can just read and reread, and the judges section alone is just—it's uh, fun to keep going over that constantly. Yeah, and it's got new new art too. So yeah, no, that's going to be a blast. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, you you mentioned magic, which is really fun, and 
and has, is such a different thing. I'd say the Mighty Deeds are a great selling point and the, the Thieves' Luck and so on. You know, all those things for players can be pretty uh, pretty exciting and in a way that they're all unique takes on stuff they know. So it has the lure of being familiar as well as the, uh, you know, the excitement of something different. So kind of the best of both worlds there. Uh, Judge, yeah. Judge Jen left a, a good point in our show notes here. It says, Jen likes to focus on people who tend to play fighters and lead off with magic missile doesn't automatically hit and your cleric doesn't run out of healing. For the caster types, focus on the mercurial magic and variables in casting and how patrons come into play rather just being an influence listed as a background on your character sheet. Having played in, lucky enough, one of Jen's games, she did in uh, a reverse out of the uh, caves under Yander Mountain emergent game last year where it really doesn't matter what's on your character sheet. It, it's it's a test of the players what they really want to do. And I think that's what we've been talking about all night is it, it's what do you do? Your your fighter, sure, can run up there and hack and slash, but the, the, the funniest part is for tonight it, instance, in the one who watched from below at my public play game, he had a, a jar with a thing in it from that one room. I'm trying to be as vague as possible. <laughs> and they were fighting those things that were born from that thing. <laughs> and he held it out in front of them and goes, look at this. And I had to quickly adjudicate that. But the best part was he didn't take his axe. He was the only warrior in the whole thing. Didn't take his axe and just smash him. He tried to do this. In, in a 3-5 game or other systems, that would be a diplomacy check or some sort of persuasion roll. And all I said was, roll a hit. And he rolled a hit. And he rolled a natural 20 on the die. <laughs> and those things just, there were three of them left, and they just, ah! And then they used their power to do what they do. End of combat. It was, you know, you can slog through stuff all day. You can play tactical miniatures all day, but it really, at the end of it, it's the story that really matters the most. Yeah. Well, good times, guys. Thanks for uh, all the input. It's great to hear, uh, um, you know, everybody's experience both as a as a new player, which we all were at, at one point, as well as uh, from the judge's side. And thanks, Judge Jen, for the input remotely donated. Appreciate that. Uh, keeping us honest over here. So thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been a nice episode of Spellburn. Happy to discuss how to sell new players on the game, how to introduce people uh, as both player and judge. Thanks for the emails, and keep them coming to the band at Spellburn.com. I think we can uh, go ahead and sign off there. I'm Judge Julian. Wait, wait what, what's that sound? Hey, what, is what is that? What are you talking about? That sound, it sounds like wings or something. Oh, oh that's coming. Uh, that's really close now. That's uh, it's like it's coming right uh, at us here. What? What's coming at us? What the? What the? Ah! Joe, look out. Look out, Joe. Holy. Oh, it's some... Oh, oh my God. That's oh disgusting. God. That's... Oh. I didn't... Oh. oh it hurt. I, it's hurt. It's got me. me. I didn't... Oh. oh. I didn't know he had Ow. all that stuff in him. No. Oh, my God. Gross. Oh my god. Oh. Oh god. Do something. Do something. It's Julian. Ah, ah, no, hit it on. I'm hiding.
It's pulling me off the ground. It's pulling me off the ground. Somebody, you idiot, do something. Hang on. Hang on. What, what page Man, is Magic Missile on? so painful. Oh, shit. Hang on. Listening to Spellburn, copyright 2016. Our theme music has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. You can hear more of their music at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.